0: You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awaken Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. We're in our, uh, wait, the Future is Family series. The Future is Family, and I get to kick it off. And And I'll be honest with you, I um, went to bed last night not feeling a lot of peace about my message and so I just had to kind of like close my computer and surrender it to the Lord. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to get up at five and I'm believing you're going to speak to me. So um, he shared a few more thoughts with me at five o'clock this morning. And so the eight o'clock was the first time I actually heard a lot of the things out of my mouth. So for the most part, it went well, for the most part, there were a lot of people that left at the eight 30 and I'm like, I don't think this many people need to use the restroom. You know, or like maybe they didn't like that I was a female. I don't know. But I was just like, you know what? I feel pretty good about this, so. um, (laughs) I love you guys. And welcome, Overflow, again. You, you're probably praying the hardest for us to have a second location. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I, I thought I would open up with like some parenting things. And, and then when I actually woke up this morning, the Holy Spirit was like, how can you just go straight into parenting when parenting has to do with the actual adult? Um, and so, so I really want to spend a little bit of time on us first. And I actually woke up with the thought about the book um, Baby Wise. So that's a parenting book for new, new parents to, to raise babies, to, to get them on a great schedule and all these things. Um, and so who has actually read that book or have, know someone that read it that actually had a good experience? Yes. I wish there were more of you. I wish I were. I highly, I. It is my humble yet strong opinion. It is the best parenting book for new mamas that ever was written. Um, if you tried to use it and it didn't work, I'll be honest. You probably didn't do it properly. <laughs> you probably tried to mix in other parenting philosophies and it just screwed up the whole plan. So I, I love that book. And and that book, I was thinking about it. It talks about. So here, here's the thing with baby wise parents. They always get the comments about, um, oh, you're so lucky to have such a good baby. Baby wise parents, I see you. Because there's nothing to do with luck when you're a baby wise parent. It is your hard work, you get all the credit, I see you. That victory is on yours, yourself and yourself alone because you follow the principles in that book. So I give you all the credit, parents. Um, but I was thinking about that book because I think I've been meeting a lot of new babies. We've been having a lot of new babies, and they're so yummy. Don't bite them, but they're so yummy. Um, oh, Just all these beautiful little babies are being born um, in our church right now. And, but the first chapter, I remembered, it was 15 years ago I, I read this book, and I remember the first chapter didn't go straight into how to, how to parent or get them on a sleep schedule or feeding schedule. The first chapter was actually targeted towards the parents, And so it talked about how the parents need to be healthy and happy and have a healthy home so this baby can thrive. And so when I woke up thinking about that, that's when I said, okay, I need to actually talk about us first, like our home, our lives first, before we actually get into some parenting conversations. Um, But I will tell you this, raising a healthy... Healthy, godly children has to start with us, and it does start with us. The greatest start to having a healthy, functioning, respectful, honoring, self-controlled, godly child is for you and I to be healthy, functioning, respectful, honoring, self-controlled, and godly. Amen? So I want to start with the scripture in Matthew 7, uh, 7 through 18. It says, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And I actually wanted to take this into the context of, of parenting today. Um, I wanted to take this scripture a little bit literally at the moment. We all know that the fruit they're talking about is like the fruit of the spirit and, and things like that. But let's actually take this as, okay, so we are the tree as the adult and the fruit we're producing is our children. And so let, let's think about if, if the fruit on these trees that we produce in our lives, would it actually nourish our children and grow them to be healthy and strong or would it make our children sick because it's not ripe and it's rotten? And so if we took this literally as fruit on a tree and every fruit that was born on that tree had a name attached to it, would it bring produce healthy and nourished children so if there's a tree and then you see names would they see joy oh I'm going to take some of that and take a bite. I see patience. I'm going to take a bite of that, and it's going to nourish me. It's going to grow me. How about generosity? Absolutely, I'm going to take a bite of that. Faithfulness, fruitfulness, self-control, courage, faith, strength, bravery. I'm just going to consume all of that, and that's going to grow your child to be healthy and strong. But what if on that tree, we have to sift through the branches, and we see more things like Unforgiveness? Do we want our child eating that and being nourishment? Bitterness, resentment, control, anger, negativity, complaining spirit, unfaithful, lack mentality, can't be generous, Do we, what, what is actually growing from our tree and producing the fruit that our children are going to be nourished from or damaged from that they actually consume? The fruit in our lives. I think we would like to say we can just teach our children all the right things. But if we aren't actually modeling it, more than likely, if we are not modeling it, our children will not do what we say they will do what we do. And so I think before we get into anything else, we actually, all of us, you don't have to be a parent in here, you'd be a single person or maybe your children are grown, but can we actually take an inventory of where we're at in our hearts and our lives? There may be so many, so many things that we could be nourished from and grow from and gleaned from. However, we, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we know there's a few pieces of fruit that we actually don't want replicated in our children. So what are we going to do about that? Because chances are it will be duplicated in our children. That's the fruit they will produce. So what are we going to do as grown human beings to ensure we're not passing these things down to our children? We've got to take an inventory and be honest with ourselves and be real with ourselves where we might be holding on to unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment or we're controlling or we're angry or we lack generosity or we lacked honor and respect. Do we want respectful, honoring children? Well, then let's ask ourselves a question. Are we honoring and respectful? Or do our children hear us bashing leaders in our homes or being negative and critical of, how, of decisions leaders make? Would your children respect the leaders that God has placed in your life based on the words that are coming out of your mouth? I remember a time, um, this is not too long ago. Uh, I, uh, it was a season where I... Didn't realize at the time, but I was actually harboring some unforgiveness towards someone. And it just, you know, when you're like, when you're harboring unforgiveness, you just keep thinking about, you know, everything is highlighted to you. Everything triggers you that they do. And so, um, so I had apparently harbored some unforgiveness that was also then producing fruit in my life of anger, resentment, bitterness. I was grumpy. I was negative. And I actually like, I kind of realized just in the house, I'm like, gosh, I've been grumpy for a few weeks now. I've been barking orders and just not a lot of joy, not a lot of smiles coming off my face in my house. And, and then, so the Holy Spirit was like, what is wrong with me? Like Holy Spirit, show me. And so he actually revealed to me that I've been harboring unforgiveness. And because I had harbored unforgiveness in my heart, the root of that was the bitterness, the negativity, the anger, the short temper, all these things. So I was like, Lord, like I repent. I release them. I forgive them. I repent from holding on to this, renew my heart, renew my mind, God, and that I would just begin to then bless them. And instantly my demeanor changed, like in the house. I was happy. I was joyful again. And I remember it was three days in, my 13-year-old comes to me, and he's like, Mom, you've been so nice lately. (laughs) You're so happy. And he grabbed me by the arms, and he goes, Who are you, and what have you done with my mother? whoa, out of the mouth of babes. Like seriously. I mean, of course he didn't want that mom to come back, but it was like he had, he had recognized and identified with a mom that was that way for so long. When I actually got healthy, he's like, where did that other person go? Are you for real? Are you going to stay this way? Like, you know, because we all know, like our atmosphere, how what we bring into an atmosphere can change the entire atmosphere of the room. How how we're behaving—it's really difficult. If I'm being honest, if mom or dad is really grumpy and they their attitude doesn't change the house, they're really negative or angry. Chances are, your children aren't going to be like joyful and happy. Like they pick up on it and then they start to feel like negativity. It's really difficult for other people to be joyful in your house when you are continually perpetuating negativity. So we have to look at ourselves first. We need to model the correct behavior. Do we want our children to feed off the fruit that has been produced from our own lives, our own hearts, and our own walk with God? And I understand that it's so important to model what we want our children to be like, to behave? Do they see us in the word? Do they see us praying? Do they see us making church part? Do they see us honoring and respecting? Do they see us being generous towards God's house? We want them to model after the things that we are doing. And so, But I also just want to say this disclaimer right away because what we don't want is unnecessary parent guilt right now. So I know a lot of us can do all the right things. And we can raise our children in the way that we feel is right and godly. However, I do understand that sometimes there are behavioral issues that aren't necessarily them modeling after you. There is just something that needs to be dealt with and they need to be cared for to come up to a really great solution to break free from those behavioral issues. But let someone else decide that you trust if it's the parenting or a behavioral issue? I think a lot of times we can dismiss like, oh, they just have this or, or whatever. Actually, let's actually like be honest. Can we be honest? Like, is it a parenting issue or is it an issue that we need maybe some assistance with, some help with? You know, so one of the most confronting, sobering, and slightly terrifying scriptures in all of the Bible, at least to me, um, is this, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1. imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So the title of my message this morning is Mini-Me. Mini-Me. My cute little daughter. (laughs) I left the house that day for the 8.30 and she saw what I was wearing and so she put on the same outfit. She's very cute. (laughs) So imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Do we want our children imitating us? Maybe in some areas, but surely for all of us, probably not all, if we're being honest. But they will imitate us. And so that's why we have to do the inventory, get to the root of the issues that are causing the negative fruit in our life that will be reproduced in our children. And it's not just our children we are talking about. We are talking about the future generation. All of our children, all of the young people part of this church, junior high, high school, young adults, they, they are our future. The children actually are our future. So what type of children are we releasing into society? Are we going to get more of what we see right now, or is it going to be a different society? It's actually up to us. We have a lot of power in making that type of decision of what the future is going to look like by how we parent, train, and love up our children. And this isn't just to parents. Kids church volunteers. Junior high volunteers, high school volunteers, young adult volunteers, connect group leaders, young married couples, our prime generation. Are we all doing our part when we see something to pour in to the next generation? we all have a part to play in the family of God. And I think God gives us a family of God because sometimes in our immediate family, we don't always see things clearly. We can miss stuff. So he blesses us with a family of God that cares for us, that loves us, that could actually say the things we need to hear that we may not see because we have our Everyone's best interest in mind. We should have everybody's best interest in mind because that child could be our next governor. So we need to have something to say as a family of God when we see things going awry in that person's life, that little person's life. So here's a situation. I can understand that I'm talking about things that could be very, feel very um, exposing or vulnerable think we've all been there I think to to actually be able to say hey we we I don't know what we did or what we're not doing all I know is it's not working and I can't get my children to listen or obey and they're disrespectful and I can't get them to get off their devices and they have all these bad friends and I'm trying to get them to church but it's literally like world war three like I need help like I need help and we have to be able to say that and it be okay like there is no, I mean, I, I think we have to be honest that we're, none of us have it all together. And and more than likely, the people that you're going to for counsel and advice had the same conversation five years prior with another couple when their children were out of control. So let's not put on our judgy hat, okay? So as a church, we're not going to be judging and throwing stones when someone actually comes to us in that vulnerable state. And I've been reading this amazing book called um, Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk, and I, and I highly highly recommend it. And he talks about being able to enable to, to be vulnerable with bringing things up to get help. It says you need to feel safe, valued, protected, loved, and cared for. So if you feel safe, valued, protected, loved, and cared for, there's an, a possibility that you are willing to be vulnerable with someone. And why is vulnerability so scary? Like, why do people freak out when they have to be actually vulnerable with the true state of what's going on in their hearts, their families, their souls, their minds, all the things? It's because when we take our vulnerability, we're actually like coming from the weakest, deepest risk. We're actually saying we don't have it all together. And I'm bringing you my deepest need. And then we fear our greatest fear, which is rejection. And so... Well, we we have to be able to risk the possible pain of rejection in order to be vulnerable, and I pray that rejection would not happen in this family of God. Like I have said, I do believe we've raised a church and developed leaders that understand to you know to be gracious and loving and kind and not put on the judgy hat. So I would hope and pray that when someone brings their things up to you, that they're asking for help on. We aren't throwing stones. We aren't being judgy. We're saying, how can we? partner with you. Let's get this victory together. Let's work this out together. Because God forbid when someone who has suffered such severe rejection musters up the courage after 10 years to be vulnerable with the true state of of what's going on in their soul and their household and with their children, and and they sheepishly, like in their most vulnerable wounded position, come to you and say, oh, hey, so can I, I might need some help with, and then you shut them down? by being judgy. Can you imagine the devastation and then the reinforcement of the lie of the devil that they have to hide and isolate and they can never trust anyone and be vulnerable again? How many years is it going to be till that person musters up the courage again? And by that time, the brokenness and the level of dysfunction in their household seems to be beyond repair. So let's be very careful when people come to us with their vulnerability, with the issues that are great, they're of great need to them. We will not have a spirit of rejection. We will accept, we will love, we will extend open arms, and we will walk alongside of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. And this isn't meant to be sounding sassy, but... If you are coming to, like, if, if you're a parent and you're coming, like, I need some help with parenting or my marriage or, or things like that, I feel like um, meet the parents, m- like, brings a whole new meaning. <laughs> because sometimes I'm so confused at the level of disrespect or dishonor I can see in some of the children that I encounter in, in church and in the Awaken Academy and things like that. And I'm like, why aren't they listening? Why can't they sit down? Why are they mad-dogging me? Why is there no respect or honor? But then you meet the parents. Brings a whole new meaning to that movie. I'm not being my like, I mean, it's like, that's the fruit. It's the fruit. Because then they're not, they're not honoring and they're disrespectful. When, when I meet someone for the first time and they call me, you know, I you know, end my message and they're like, hey babe, hey girlfriend. Like, they meet me for the first time. I know I'm not being a weirdo right now, but I'm like, "Mm, hmm, seems a little little friendship (laughs) levely. Don't know you yet. But if I'm your babe and your girlfriend, and then their child, I can't get them to listen to me at all, and they're mad-dogging me at the Awaken Academy, I just wonder if honor and respect has not been taught in their home or modeled in their home. So again, not trying to be sassy. I'm trying to be helpful. (sighs) So... And I believe I've mentioned this in this service, but we have to be thinking generationally. We can't just be so focused on our own children. We actually need to be aware of what's happening in our beautiful church community at large and use what gifts we can to pour into the next generation. Because God is a generational God. God is referred to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's always thinking generationally, and He's always thinking legacy. Proverbs 13.22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So a good man is thinking legacy, not just his generation. But how can I make sure the following generation also is blessed. And this inheritance is not just about money, leaving a legacy an inheritance of good character, of godly character, of righteousness, of courage, of faith, of faithfulness, of generosity, What of, of servanthood. Like what legacies are we leaving and imparting to our children that we then pray we've instilled enough into them and they've developed their own relationship with God. Then they would carry it on to, their children and their children's children. Can you see if we understand generation and legacy right, we can actually shift entire generations for years and years and years and years to come. I don't know about you, but I want to leave my children a whole lot more than some money in their bank account. You know, there's a story in the Bible, and if you're reading through the Bible, we would have just read it together. Um, Just a little bit of a backstory, so we know that the Israelites were in Egypt for over 400 400 years in slavery and in bondage, and and God raised up a deliverer, Moses, to to bring the the Israelites out of captivity. And we know that the 10 plagues happened and all the things. And then this generation that God just miraculously delivered was supposed to then go straight into the promised land. It was like right in front of them, but it says they were unbelieving, not believing they could actually take the territory and the promised land. And so they wouldn't take it. So they didn't take it. And God, God said, what I'm going to have to do now, because this is the land I'm giving you and I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to have to let you wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire unbelieving generation dies out. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The unbelieving generation died out. And so it doesn't, it's not necessarily clear, but I'm making somewhat of an assumption here that the the generation that was now going in was a believing generation, a believing generation. But somewhere along the way, and just by the way, so then Moses, the successor, is Joshua. So Joshua actually takes the believing generation into the promised land. But then over time, that generation didn't necessarily fight all the battles that God asked them to fight. They gave up territory. They didn't go take the territory that God had given them. And I just want to read a few scriptures here. So Joshua 2, 7. It's Judges. Oh, I had it wrong. Sorry, guys. Judges 2, 7. I'm talking about Joshua. Things get messed up in my head sometimes. Judges 2, 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. And then we skip down to Judges 2, 10 through 12. 12. When all the generations had been gathered to their fathers, so when all of the generations of Joshua had died out, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work that he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the balls. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods." I think it's interesting where it says they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. So had he become their Lord God? Did we, teach our children about God or did we actually develop their purse, help them develop a personal relationship with God? Because what ended up happening, the fathers that had believed in the Lord God somewhere along the line did not fully transfer to the generation rising. So they turned their back on the Lord and did evil in his sight. So I want to say, have we done what all we could do To ensure that that we are helping our generations, current generations and the generations coming up from us to love the Lord, their God, with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength, or they just observing us love the Lord, our God, because it can quickly shift with one generation. And so we have to be generationally minded because again, the future Our children are the future. They are the future. So I want to switch gears a little bit. And uh, what I had originally thought to share was this. And I was sitting there Friday morning with my my two teenage boys. They were sitting on the couch in the morning on their phones, which isn't unusual. They get an hour a day on their phones. And so they're just sitting on their phones. That wasn't a problem. But then I just started thinking, I just go, hey, when was the first iPhone created? And so Hudson's like, oh, look it up. He's like, 2007, mom. And I said, what about YouTube? What about TikTok? What about Instagram? What about, and so we, we, he researched these things for me. So MySpace came out in 2003, Facebook, 2004, YouTube, 2005, iPhone, 2007, Instagram, 2010. And then TikTok was released in the US in 2016. So over a 13-year period, all of these social media platforms were unleashed on the populace. So, but it really probably took off like in the 10, 15 year mark, you know, when all these things had really, really come out. And if you do a little fun research project, you can maybe do a little exploration of who actually owns these social media platforms, the mainstream media. And I'll I'll give you a little hint. If you can freely post perversion, lies, fake news, false information, anti-God agendas and stay up. But if you get blocked, banned, reported when you post conservative views or share truthful information, um, the outlets are owned by probably not the good guys. So knowing all these outlets are not necessarily um, owned by the good guys. They're not actually really wanting to share truth and value and identity and all these things that God, God is a part of. No. But then we find that with studying, when I did a study, children ages eight to 12 spend four to six hours a day on either social media platforms, the internet or devices. If a, te- and a teenager spends up to nine hours a day, this is the average The average. So some are a lot less, some are a lot more, which is astounding. The amount of time per day our children are are gaining wisdom and being taught from these outlets. And then I started thinking about how many hours a day. So I was like, that's a lot of hours, people. And then I'm like, well, what about school? So unless you're fortunate enough to have sent your child to a Christian school that hasn't gone woke, you are probably doing okay, You're probably doing okay, but for the majority of the populace, sending your your children to a regular school system for seven hours a day, five days a week, we have realized as of late, some were clued into this quite a while ago, the rest of us just were asleep and not listening, that our schools aren't necessarily teaching our children anymore. They are indoctrinating our children with a liberal agenda. And how do I know that? Because you just look, it's what happened to the children that left the public school system. I've never seen so many people hate America. I've never seen so many people disrespect authority. And I could have never have imagined in a million years they would actually encourage and celebrate a curriculum that declares all white people are racist and all black people are victims. So tell me how that curriculum unifies, connects us, and empowers us. Absolutely not. I've never seen so many people confused about their identity. Because from the time of kindergarten on, we teach our kids that the bodies they were born into may have been a mistake. Can you imagine confident Johnny walking in first day of kindergarten, he's got his Tonka truck backpack, his dinosaur t-shirt, his dirty jeans, his Spider-Man light-up tennis. and his favorite truck in hand. Very confident. And then from day one and every day after, he's told he's not going to be referred to as a he or a boy, but they or them, and that just because he identifies with a boy, he doesn't have to play with trucks or wear Spider-Man things. He can wear things that girls are wearing, and he can play with dolls, which he absolutely can. And. If you don't if you decide you don't feel like a little boy this day this is a 5-year-old guys you can actually go into the girls restroom if that makes you feel safer and if you identify with a cat that day we will put a litter box in the bathroom for you true story true story So from the age of five on, we are instilling anxiety, confusion. It is psychological abuse to attack a five-year-old at his core identity and who he is. No wonder why we see the highest level of psychological issues being reported in this day more than ever. So I say all of that. To break it down. So if on average, our children spend seven hours a day in indoctrination camps, they spend four to nine hours on social media platforms that are not bringing out the best in them or teaching them what we would want to teach as godly parents and principals. And then I, I started to think about when all these platforms took off and all this education started. And I looked at how many years ago that happened. And then I just thought, I wonder what the average age is of the people that are the populace storming the streets, destroying America, ransacking stores, hating America, raging against God, disrespecting authority, pushing, living, and promoting the gender identity narrative. Could there be a correlation? Could we be seeing the fruit of the first generation that was primarily being raised, trained, and taught by our social media platforms and our liberal school systems? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. In our lifetime, we've never seen things like this before. And we know that the enemy, if he wants to change a society, he doesn't go after those who already have their head on straight he goes to the most vulnerable, the impressionable. And I believe that while many Christians and believers were just being optimistic, we were asleep while the devil was working overtime, pulling all-nighters while we were asleep. Do we give up on the generation that we see that we just referred to? Absolutely not. Because like I've said, they're our next leaders, teachers, lawmakers, world changers. So we can never give up. We can never get up. It is all of our responsibility to pray. We may not be able to reparent them, but we have the most powerful tool on this God-given earth is prayer. We can pray for the generations that have been taught and trained wrongly. And I believe that things can shift. The Bible talks about in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people, us who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, it starts with prayer. There's a scripture in Ezekiel 22. It, I'll give a summary of the people that we're talking about here. It speaks of people, people groups, leaders in a land that is not cleansed. It's like a roaring lion tearing the prey, devouring people. They have stolen, robbed, made widows. They have violated laws. They have profaned holy things. They shed blood, destroyed the oppressed, and did dishonest gain. These are the people we're talking about. But then in Ezekiel 22:30 it says... So I sought for a man among them, this is the Lord, who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. Sad words coming, but he found no one. He was looking for one person to intercede on behalf of the wicked land that he might not destroy it this could be the most depressing scripture or the most encouraging scripture, because if all it takes is one believer that's willing to intercede on behalf of the land, we can restore our land, restore this nation, restore the generations. But I know I'm a part of a prayer filled Bible believing power of God church. And we don't just have one person praying. We are all So, do not lose heart. Every Tuesday, men pray. Every Thursday, women pray. And we aren't just praying for our families, we are praying for the generations. We are praying for this nation. We are standing in the gap. So, do not lose heart. We have to do our part but we cannot lose heart because our prayers are powerful and they will not, they will not return void. We are going to shift the generation that has gone before us. They, I prophesy they will turn from wickedness to righteousness. They will go from denying God to believing wholeheartedly in him. They will go from sinning to wanting to walk in God's paths through the power of our prayers. I believe it. I'm so hopeful. We have the key to unlock the breakthrough for that generation, for the destiny of this nation. So we need to pray for the the generation that we cannot reparent. However, we still have the opportunity to help parents develop and train the ones that God has entrusted to us. And God takes that very seriously to be good shepherds over the children that he has given us for a season. And some of you are probably thinking like, wow, I don't know if I did a very good job. Crap. My kids are gone and ah." Uh. Then some of us are like, I got bratty 16 and 17 year olds. Well, you still got him for another year or two? God can multiply the time. There's a beautiful, encouraging scripture. It says this, Ephesians 5, 14 through 16. Awake you who sleep. We're awaking today. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Listen to this. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. God can redeem the time that we may feel like we squandered or lost or didn't make a priority. He can redeem the time. So look at all the time that you may have squandered. Look at the time you have now. God can shift an entire destiny of a nation with a prayer. We have, if you have six months, even three, you have time. And a lot of times it's not going to be so much what we teach, but if we just looked at us And what are we modeling? That begins a beautiful journey to model what we want to see reproduced in our children. Parents, I want to encourage you today. Young people, I want to encourage you. Youth, junior high, young adult volunteers, connect group leaders, I want to encourage you. We have to take some ownership in this. Because people come to us all shapes and sizes and levels of brokenness or levels of healing. God has entrusted them to the family of God and He's put them in our family at Awaken. And I know it can be challenging and a sensitive thing, but if God has placed someone in your world and you see a negative pattern happening, in their lives or their children's lives that you know is not going to serve them well for their future or the generations well? Do we have the love and the courage to have a conversation? I'll tell you this, and I'm not proud of it, but I hear this sometimes. I'll bring up, hey, I'm noticing this, you know. Do you think we should have, can you have this conversation? You're the connect leader, you're this or that. Or then, you know, I'm like, you know, a family's highlighted to me about some behaviors, and they're like, oh, yeah, everybody knows. No one invites them over anymore. I'm like, whoa, whoa. And I answer, like, have you spoken to them about that? Did y'all just talk about it? Uncovering, throwing stones, we're not like that, stop it. Or did someone actually have the love and the courage to bring it to their attention and not everybody else's? And it can look like this. Hey, we love you. And we want to bring something to your attention. We have seen that little Susie rarely listens. That you have to bribe and you have to negotiate or give her a treat to actually obey. And we're just concerned that... What you're reinforcing in her is that she can complain, whine, get a treat for disobedient behavior. We want you to help you raise a child that honors and respects you. Can we partner you with this? Can I, can we walk through this book together? Can I get you some prayers, some counseling, some, someone that you see in your life, you, you, you see the fruit of their life. Can we partner you with them? Let's do this together because we don't just care about our children. We care about the children in the family of god do we have the courage to have those conversations i don't think it's optional as a family of god why would we let someone just keep walking off a cliff if we love them because the way of those things lead to destruction the bible says we don't want them to be destroyed we want them to be fruitful So we need to take some responsibilities as leaders and approach those conversations with a lot of grace, a lot of love, and a lot of encouragement. I'm going to go through these really quickly. Sometimes I just think first thing, we need to actually evaluate how much time our children are being taught by the world. And how much time we are actually teaching and instilling into them godly principles. We might need to put some timers on things. My boys don't like they only have an hour and a half of Fortnite a day. Do I care? No. Because before I had a timer, they just got it. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. I've never had a gaming device in my house. All of a sudden, it consumed every part of the day, every hour. I had to beg them to get off to come to dinner. They would be like slamming their fists, raging over some guy they've never met that they're playing. And then I'm like, it was like no peas in my house. And I was just like, then one day I woke up and I asked myself, what are you doing? You're in charge. So we had to take it away for a week just to reestablish what a normal childhood looks like. And then we reinstated it, you get an hour and a half. It's not promise, it's a privilege. If we have a family outing or whatever, my life does not revolve around your fortnight. Guess what? My kids are almost normal now. They're so, they're fun to be around. They play basketball again. They play pool. They're on their rib sticks in their, what are those? The thing you put both feet on that I can't stand a hoverboard. Oh God. If you're over the age of 40, do not do that. It's dangerous. But like they actually care about, because what happened was they, when that became the priority, they didn't, all of a sudden the family nights, they thought were lame. They didn't want to go on a family outing. That was boring. Watch a family movie, so dumb. Because everything competed with this new priority in their life. So guess what? They don't necessarily hate family outings. My boys do complain a bit, but then we shape them up real quick and they end up having a good time. Can we bring back family dinners? I understand if you have to pick up fast food, but you can still sit down at the table and munch on that Chick-fil-A. And you can have conversations, start conversations. Highs and lows of the day. What is God speaking to you about? What do you think God's teaching you? teach them to hear the voice of god for themselves i'm in the car i take advantage of every moment anything you want to talk to me about i'll give you an answer sometimes i ask pretty hairy questions age-appropriate responses but i want them to know we can have this ongoing dialogue i'll invite them up to my room when i'm getting ready i'm like go get in my bed while i'm getting ready and i'll just make them talk to me they fight it for like a minute or two, and then they actually start inquiring about things they're interested in, and they start talking, and we have an opportunity just to share life, to teach and to develop, to train. So, some of us need to reevaluate how much time the world is getting to parent our children. And I also think that we should bring back the word no. Can we just bring back the word no? It'd be so helpful. Dear Lord, oh, I don't believe in saying no. I just redirect. Oh, really? I don't want your kids in my class. I know I'm being sassy now, but do our can our kids handle hearing no? Can they handle it, or do they melt down and lose their minds? That'll tell you. You know what? If your kid melts down and lose their minds when you say no, the your new favorite word for the week is no. Nope, 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 nope. Can I have a shake? Nope. Re-establish who's boss. And if you have to use Pastor Becky's name to take away their gaming and to take away things that they enjoy, don't you dare use my name because then you just declared that you are a powerless parent. You are powerful. You have authority. Who's running your household? Are you terrified of your children? Are you terrified of a meltdown? Take responsibility. No is our new favorite word. And then when they can handle it, we can introduce a few yeses here and there. All right. I just want to say one more thing before I'm encouraging. (laughs) Um, Things like and I'm guilty of it too, again, so I've made all the same mistakes and I'm still working out some things. So I'm not coming at you like I have it all together. No, my, one of my boys got in trouble on this first day of the academy. I am not claiming righteous over here. However, I made this mistake and I just want to encourage you parents. Can we please stop counting to three to get obedience? I'm ruffling feathers. However, do we demand First time, I always say first time listening, first time obedience. So, you, so you have to count to three. So they get to be disrespectful and dishonoring for three count of three before they listen. And that three seconds when they're older is going to turn into three months before they obey God, three years before they obey God. I mean, what are we teaching our children? Are we? Do we have to bribe them to get us to listen to leave the play date? to get ready for church, you bribe them with treats or or things that they like. When did we start negotiating with little terrorists? (laughs) No! That never turns out well. I want to empower you. I want to encourage you. Not like I'm the boss, but you are the boss. It's time we remember. Don't let our children run our households and dictate what's happening. God has given you to them. As the parent, as the overseer, as the authority figure, is the one to honor and respect, so that if they don't honor and respect you, you better guarantee they will honor and respect others. And honoring your father and mother is the first commandment with a promise. It says your, their life will go well with them. Do we want life to go well for our children, or do, they want, or do you want them to struggle? It's the first commandment with a promise. And I'm telling you, when I meet disheartening and disrespectful kids... I don't see how life's going to go well for them. They won't listen. They won't do what they're supposed to do. People just stop wanting to hang out with them. They don't get picked for the sports teams. It's not going to go well for them. So we need to love them enough to want their lives to go well for them and regain some honor and respect in our children. Some of us may need to cancel our plans for a week, be in that house with those kids, re-establish what this family is gonna look like, re-establish some healthy boundaries. And then we have to be consistent to do it. And when they can actually start behaving in your own home under your own care and the sound of your voice, we can revisit the populace. It's really hard to start establishing boundaries when you're out amongst the crowd, because then you do end up caving because you don't wanna be embarrassed by their fits or their backtalk, so you just give them what they want. So then you reinforce the bad behavior. Some of us made it to just like take a little time, reestablish what kind of kids we're going to raise, who's going to raise them, the world or us. We've got to, and I'll close with this statement. And if we can't seem to work it out, which a lot of us can't on our own, huh, I couldn't, I had to ask for help. I love when Pastor Charles rebukes my voice for not being respectful feels a little awkward in the moment, but I'm so grateful because I'm not about co-parenting with the government, but I am about co-parenting with other godly believers who have my kids' best interests in mind. We need to help each other. and We need to ask for help, and we can't be embarrassed or ashamed to ask for help. We cannot sacrifice our children's future on the altar of our pride. don't sacrifice your children's future on the altar of your pride. I love you guys. Do you guys still like me? I just, and if you don't, I understand the truth hurts and it can sting, but let it not Don't let the sting take you out with the fence. Let it make you rise. We want to pull you up to another level. Because the future generation, this nation, is counting on our kids. And be encouraged. You guys feel like I can do this. I'm encouraged. I just know, just with our church alone and all of our campuses, if we do this well, and if we help one another... We've already changed the city of San Diego. We are shifting things in California. Absolutely. But I want the children we raise in this community and the house of God to be the people that we can respect and look up to. They are going to be our future. They're changing the nation. They are worth pouring into and praying for. So let's just stand to our feet. God, I thank you for every person in this place, God. God, if they're not a parent, I just pray that something that I said today, Father God, would resonate with them. Father God, to get their hearts healthy, to get the fruit of their life matching up to what you have declared that they should be. God, I thank you right now, God, that you're giving us wisdom and discernment and eyes to see, God, how to parent in the way that you would have us parent. God, help those who don't have children yet or their children are gone to open their eyes to all the opportunities, Father, to be able to pull into, to love and and raise up and develop this next generation, God, that you have entrusted to us. God, and I declare right now that you will say to us, good and faithful servant, I thank you right now that you are equipping us that you are guiding us and you are leading us, Father God, in how to do the things the right way, your way, Father God. So I just pray that every single person feels encouraged in here today and hopeful, God, that we are going to shift this nation, God, with the generation that you've entrusted to us now. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 You know, church, it's really hard to do these kinds of things if you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have Jesus, is the Lord of your life. He's the one that guides you through the Bible and through the relationships to do all the things that we talked about today and more. So if your life is not right with the Lord, you know you need Jesus. You know you need to surrender yourself to Him. I've been trying to do it my own way and it's not working out. I need to give, you need to give your life to Jesus. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenchurch.com.